You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Hey, how are we doing tonight? I appreciate all of you that are here in the room with us and all of you that are with us in Blairsville as well. Thank you guys for joining us tonight for Leadership Night in Blairsville. And then all of you that are uh, joining us via podcast um, later, those of you that are joining us online, we are grateful. Thanks for joining us. Um, If you're new to Leadership Night, we're going to talk through some leadership principles together and then just talk about some application. What does this look like and how do we live this out. So I just want to say thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part. Let me pray and then we'll get started. Lord, thanks for this day. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and grow our leadership. And I pray that none of us would take our positions for granted, no matter where we're at, in our families, in our communities, in our businesses, in this church, whatever it may be. I pray that we would steward those opportunities well, and we would lead the people that you've given us, no matter who it may be. So God bless us, minister in and through us, And I pray that you would ultimately be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us for Leadership Night. Um, You guys are part of Summit. And so so this is a little dangerous. But tonight, I'm going to talk to you about the topic of of leading in crisis. And, um, And this is something that's fresh on my mind and on my heart over the last month, we've been dealing with some stuff as a church. And so I want you to know that uh, we're not gonna talk about specifics in relation to the stuff that we've been dealing with, but we do wanna talk about the principles that will help um, you lead better, whether that's in your home or in your business or whatever it might be. And so again, the topic for the evening is, is leading in crisis. There's a book by um, George Klan and his his book is called Crisis Leadership. And I think I've told you this before. I've never read a book that I agreed with everything the author said, um, but this is no exception. Uh, But there are some really good principles in this book. Uh, And so I would encourage you, you can pick it up on Amazon. I think the the Kindle version is like 20 bucks. So it's not cheap, but um, if you're interested in the topic, you can go a little deeper. So Gene, Gene Klon said this, he said, during a crisis, your goal is to reduce loss and keep things operating as normal as possible. So during a crisis, your two primary goals are to minimize loss and to keep things operating as normal as possible. Um, so I want us to go back to, to the way, way back to March of 2020 when the world fell apart and businesses and companies and departments were trying to figure out how do we get through this next season, however long it is, when we don't have customers coming in our door, when we don't have whatever it might be, um, there were a lot of people trying to manage crisis. And generally speaking, there are two kinds of crisis. There's internal crisis and external crisis. Primarily what we're gonna talk about, and there's overlap between these two things, but primarily what we're gonna talk about this evening is an internal crisis. So an external crisis can be something like COVID. It's not something you did, so it's not a a bad behavior, it's not underperformance of the company or organization. Uh, There's an outside force that impacted what you are doing. That's an external crisis. And there are, there are a lot of overlap in these principles, but, but what we're going to talk about tonight is an internal crisis. An internal crisis is um, we didn't budget correctly, and now we've got a shortfall. 
Um, it's, hey, we messed up on this order and now we just gave away half a million dollars worth of product and there's no way to recoup that. Um, it's, hey, we had this person in our organization was embezzling money. What do we do about this now? Those are all internal crisis. It's things that um, began in your organization and it's primarily limited to your organization. The outside organizations aren't gonna be impacted by that. Um, and so that's really what we're gonna delve into and walk through tonight a little bit. And so how do you navigate a crisis in your organization? And to me, there are three primary things you've got to look at. Um, And so if you're taking notes, you can write these down. Roman numeral one would be discovery. So the first thing I want to do when there's an internal crisis is I want to go through the discovery process. What's going on? What happened? How did we get here? How did this happen? Just give me all the the pertinent information. I want the best information possible. I want the up-to-date information and I want the relevant information. So this is the discovery process. Give me everything I've got. I don't want to um, we've talked in here. I'm, I'm kind of the person that wants to say, ready, fire, aim. If I've got 51% of the information, a lot of times that's enough for me to make a decision about things, um, whether that's right or wrong. Um, but when it comes to crisis, that's where I go. 51% of the information is not enough. I want more information. I want to figure out every detail. I want as much good information as I can get because that's how I'm going to make a good decision. So give me as much information as possible. And this is where, again, depending on the situation, um, you're going to call people in. You're going to have conversations. You're going to talk to people. You're going to investigate everything you can because you want the best information possible. I don't know, going back to to March of 2020 again, I don't know about you, um, I overdosed on the news in March of 2020. Um, I had the news on. I could tell you um, what the, what the um, infection rate was in Indiana County day by day. I knew it. Why? Because I'm leading an organization and I wanted the details because I wanted to be able to make decisions and how is this impacting us as a church, all these things. So I had as much information as possible. In fact, I probably had too much information for my heart to bear. Uh, I shouldn't have had that much. But this is the case when we're trying to solve a, fix a crisis in our organizations. There's a discovery process. So get to work, figure out what's really going on, get the best information, get the most relevant information. The second thing is this, and we're gonna take a little time here. Uh, and I could probably do a whole leadership night on this one. Um, the second thing is this, communication. Communication is key. Um, there, are, there are classes that are taught about communication. Uh, one, two, three, four, all multiple levels. And so w- what are you communicating? Well, communication is going to be a key in a crisis because you want to communicate, A, the right information. Uh, it doesn't matter what you communicate if you're not communicating the right information. Um, think about, again, COVID. Uh, there was some wrong information communicated, right? It didn't matter that they communi- were communicating. Sometimes they're communicating the wrong things. So don't be so hasty to communicate that you're actually communicating the wrong things because that will cause more issues in your organization than you're fixing. So you got to be communicating the right information. Um, some of the, the things you need to be communicating are, what are we doing about this right now? Hey, we've got this internal crisis. Here's how we're taking care of this right this second. Here's what we're doing right now to solve this problem. And then something else we've got to talk about is here's what we're doing in the future to keep us from having this crisis again. 
So here's how we're gonna head off this crisis moving forward. Here's the safeguards we're putting in place. Here's the mechanisms. Here's the whatever it might be that, that we are taking care of. Because when you're communicating to people you're leading, you want to be able to communicate confidence. Hey, we blew it. Hey, we messed up. Hey, we had this issue, but we're not gonna have this issue again. We might blow it in a different way, but we're not gonna blow it in the same way. Does that make sense? Uh, we're guaranteed to screw up, but it's not gonna be the same way we screwed up before. Um, a type of communication, along with the right communication, is honest. Um, when you're in a crisis, that's the wrong time to fudge the truth, to go, well, we'll give them this much of the truth, or this is sort of the truth, or we, we don't want to make ourselves look too bad, so we're going to say this instead of this. And, and people know whether you're being authentic or not. So when we are, are massaging things to make the leadership look better or the organization look better, that is a, a sure way to lose confidence in people because they're going to figure that out. They're going to see that. So you want to be honest, but you also want to be honoring. Um, if there's an issue with someone specific, you want to be honoring about the specific person um, because no matter what your organization is, I feel like there is a, a moral to it that if we are going to do things the right way, there's a right way to do things that hey, we're not gonna trash people. Um, people might trash us, but we're not gonna trash them. And uh, I've told people before, <laughs> if I can take some liberty with this language, the high road sucks, but the good news about the high road is there is no traffic at all. So that's the good news. And so I would always encourage you, take the high road in your organization, in your leadership when it comes to a crisis, take the high road. Do the hard thing and be moral, even if you've got reason to go, nope, they were evil and here's why they were evil. Or they were terrible and they mistreated and they couldn't do their job or whatever it is. Always take the high road and you will be better off. Um, the right information I put in the notes not too much, not too little. I think there's a fine line with how much you share um, because you don't want to overshare because um, sometimes oversharing will actually create more questions than it answers. So you, you want to figure out what do I need to share with the people um, and what do I not need to share? And I'll be perfectly honest with you, um, in the situation we went through as a church, I struggled because there were a lot of things I wanted to share that I felt like, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know that we need to share this. Uh, we're probably better served by me not saying this. So we're just gonna, we're gonna delete that, get rid of that entirely. And, and so it's important for us to understand when we're communicating the right information that we're not trying to overshare or defend ourselves or anything like that, but figure out what needs to be said, what actually needs to be said in the situation. And I would say this, um, I don't think Twitter, it's not even called Twitter anymore. What's it called now, X? which makes me mad. Uh, X, on X, they used to limit characters. I don't think they do that anymore, but you had like 120 characters on Twitter and on Facebook, you could post whatever you want. And this would be one of those situations where I would say, um, when you're crafting a statement or the right communication, you would rather it be a tweet than a Facebook post. Um, less will go a long way. And so not too much, but also not too little. So communication to the right people, um, I'm sorry, communicate the right information to the key people. So that's B. A is the right information. B is to the key people. So who are the key people that, that need to know what's going on, that need to be communicated to? So for your business, maybe you do, um, maybe you work business to business and you're working with other businesses. Well, you don't need to tell 
the people that are consumers of this other business, you need to talk to this other business directly. Um, so there's an audience that needs to hear what you're saying and there's an audience that does not need to hear. They don't care what you're saying. And so you need to figure out who are the key people that I need to be communicating with. Um, and so I would start with stakeholders. Who are the stakeholders in your organization? And every organization is different. Um, nonprofits look different than for-profit companies. Literally in a for-profit company, it might be shareholders that you've got to communicate with. Uh, maybe it's department leaders. Maybe it's um, the, the C-suite. I don't know what it is, but you need to figure out who are the key people there. Um, there are people that don't have titles, but they're still influencers. And that's where I would say you need to figure out who those people are. And you know who those people are in your organization. Somebody who maybe they're not a, they're not a department head, but you also know that if this person's on board, everybody else is going to be on board. So that's a person I would probably communicate with and go, hey, I just want to let you know what's going on. Here's some things that happened. Here's what we're doing about it. I just want to give you the heads up. And one of the things about that, when you can invite somebody in um, into that, they will appreciate that. They feel valued. And so I wouldn't say do that with everyone, but at the same time, when there's some key leaders uh, that even don't have the title, I would, I would have that conversation. Um, key customers. There, there might be some customers that are buying a lot of product from you or spending a lot of money with you or, or just people that are highly engaged with your product or with whatever you're producing or your service. That would be people that I would consider having a conversation with. These are some key people. And this might sound silly, but I'm shocked how many times the boss doesn't find out about a problem until after other people find out about the problem. So if, if you're not the boss, I would encourage you, consider having a conversation with whoever is the boss and go, hey, I, I don't know if you know this, but this has happened, this is going on, and uh, you need to know about this. You need to hear about this. So you need to communicate uh, the right information to the key people at the right time. So let me ask you guys this, and we're not, Michael, you don't need the mic. I'm just asking this question. Uh, when is the right time? Would it be immediately for every, every crisis, do you think? Yes, no? This isn't a trick question, I'm just asking. No, the simple answer is no. Sometimes there are things you need to fix right now. Um, and then there are some things you go, okay, hey, you know what? We're gonna start fixing this and we're gonna communicate this uh, to the right people at the right time, but we don't have to do it right this second. Now, I would say the more likely a crisis is to envelop your organization, the quicker you need to communicate it to the key people. Um, it's, it's a good idea. I am somebody I would default to the quicker communication rather than the slower communication. But I would say you need discernment to go, hey, when do I need to have this conversation? Um, years ago, uh, when we lived in Oklahoma City, we were on staff at this church and um, I was preaching on a Sunday night. We had three Sunday morning services and a Sunday night service. So I was preaching that Sunday night service and it was a long day, I was tired. And about three minutes before the service started, one of our interns walked in and he walked up to me and said, Pastor Mel, I need to speak to you. And I said, can it wait till after church? And he said, no, it, it, I need to talk to you now. I'm like, okay, you got 180 seconds, go. And he said, I, I, I hit your car in the parking lot. I said, what? And he said, I'm so sorry, I was trying to park and I hit your car. And I said, okay, how bad is it? And he was like, it's bad. Okay, why did I need to know this before? I why, did, why was this timing important? He said, well, I just needed you to know before 
And it was, I realized, no, you didn't, I didn't need to know that before. You just needed to tell me before. Does that make sense? It wasn't important for me to know that before I got up to preach because that did not help me do my job better. Uh, it was more of a distraction, but it was important for him because he just needed to get off his chest. So we've got to be careful to discern between those things. Is this going to help the situation get better if I communicate this now? Or is this just help me be able to go, this is what's going on. Somebody needs to know. And we've got to be mature enough to make that to make that decision. Now, here's the funny part about that. My, my friend, Marcellus, who hit my car, uh, this is nothing to do with leadership night. He, um, it was an angled parking spot and he came in the wrong direction and decided to turn next to me. And he ended up catching the back, uh, the back driver's side bumper all the way up the car to the front driver's side bumper. He got the entire thing, both doors, both quarter panels. It was bad. Anyway, um, so I did not need to know that before I preached, by the way. So you've got to know the right time to communicate to the right people, the right information. D, in the right way. So you've got to communicate the right information to the right people at the right time in the right way. Uh, there are means that are appropriate to communicate different kinds of messages within a crisis. And you've got to decide what is the most effective way, what is the best way for me to communicate what's going on. Um, the world we live in today is, in my opinion, too comfortable with text messaging. Um, they are more comfortable text messaging and sending emails and having a verbal conversation on a phone or face-to-face -face conversation. And the truth is that there are some things you should not be communicating via text or email. Uh, you should not be telling people bad news in that way unless you have to. It is far better, especially with the people we were talking about, stakeholders, leaders, key customers, things like that, to have a face-to-face -face conversation. People feel more valued when you do that. Um, they feel like, hey, they took the time to have this conversation with me instead of, hey, I got CC'd on an email to a thousand people in our database about this. Great. Um, and so the way you communicate it uh, says a lot about what you're saying and the value of what you're saying. Um, you know, obviously with the situation we were dealing with recently, I made a public announcement about things that were going on. And um, it would have been far easier for me to send out an email, uh, just to send an email blast to our church and, hey, just want to give you the heads up, or let me back up a step even and say this. It, it would have been even easier for me not to communicate anything and just go, well, nobody's going to notice. It'll be fine. And, but that would have said something too. And so, uh, so for us, we said, hey, what is the right way to communicate? And we felt like the right way to communicate is to make a public announcement. Here's what we're going to say. And I even had some guidance on this. Um, one of the guys, well, my spiritual, my spiritual father, his name's Jim Hennessy. And those, you guys are from Summit. You've heard Jim before. He's fantastic. And I called him and told him what was going on. And he said, Mel, here's what you're going to do. He said, you're going to handle this. I, he said, I trust you. You're going to handle it well. But if I could give you some advice, he said, write out a statement and read it. And he said, don't depend on you just being able to wing it because he said, you're going to be too emotional. He said, not just sadness, but you might be a little frustrated and you don't want to say anything that you will regret. So he said, if I was you, I would write out a statement. That way your messaging is consistent and, and you can say what you actually want to say. It's like, man, that's brilliant. And so for me, the, the right way was to say, I'm going to read a public statement. I'm going to read this to our congregation. And we even made the decision 
to live stream that and we left it on the archive. So if somebody wanted to watch it later, they could. And so that was a conscious decision we made because we wanted to communicate in the right way as best we could. So you've got to decide based on the crisis we're dealing with, what is the right way to communicate what we're dealing with? What you don't want to do is text your boss and go, hey, I just want to let you know my whole department quit. Um, we can talk more about it next week when I'm back. See you Monday. You know, that's not what you want to do. You would want to go in and go, hey, I got bad news for you. Um, five people on our team quit and we're not going to, we don't know how to get production done this weekend. And that's a verbal face-to-face -face conversation. So you've got to figure out, um, What's the right way to communicate? So if you can't tell, we're building on this. You wanna communicate the right information to the key people at the right time, in the right way, with the right tone. The tone is gonna be really important for how you're communicating to the different audiences you're communicating to. Um, some people aren't gonna need it and you can discern that. You can go, okay, I can be direct with this person. They're gonna be fine but there are some people that you're gonna to have to cast some vision to. You're gonna to have to help them see, hey, here's the problem we're dealing with. You're gonna speak about it honestly, but you're also gonna tie that to, but we're gonna be okay. Hey, you know what? Here's what's going on because of COVID in our world. And here's how we're dealing with it. And here's what's happening. And here's what we're doing moving forward. But I want you to know, here's what I believe about our future. Does that make sense? You can give a hopeful tone for what's happening. Again, you're not lying. You don't wanna lie or mislead or anything like that because that's gonna undermine you ultimately. But if you can communicate honestly about things that are going on in the, the current crisis and you can communicate hope about the future, it's gonna help your leadership. So you wanna communicate with the right tone. And um, well, I said hopeful about the future, but reassuring about the present as well. Hey, we're gonna be okay. Hey, we're gonna figure this out. Uh, you know what? We had this budget shortfall and man, this was a mess, but we got this. You're not in danger, your jobs are okay. These are things that we should be communicating as the leaders. And we gotta think about what are these people that I'm leading gonna be concerned about? How does this impact me? Um, I've seen this on our team. Whenever I bring a new staff member on, it's interesting because there's always just a little bit of settling where people are like, well, how does this impact me? What does this look like? Well, are, am I going to get time? What's happening? They're questioning, right? And some of you might be part of blended families where you, your kids and their kids, and then you came together and there's this sifting where they go, okay, well, how do I fit into this new, new reality? And what do I look like? You know, what's my role in this new world? And, and the same thing is true in your organizations. If you're leading people, they're asking, how does this affect me? Okay, so are our budgets getting cut? Does this mean my job's in jeopardy? Okay, are, we're having a slowdown in production and we're having furloughs. What does that look like for me? Am I, gonna, am I gonna get fired? These are the things you need to be anticipating and you can communicate with the right tone, that you can be hopeful and you can be reassuring in your tone. Okay, that was all number two. I promise number three is not that long. Number three, and this is not something we think about often when it comes to managing crisis. The first is discovery. The second is communication. And the third is this, emotional management. Um, this is something that is, that is um, I think it's underrated when it comes to navigating crisis. Um, how do we manage the emotions of it? Because if you're a leader of an organization that you care about and there's a crisis in your organization, you probably have some emotions tied to that crisis. Um, there, you probably have some personal stakes involved. And so you've got to navigate, how do I manage my own emotions in this? How do I manage my own heart? And so here are just a few things that, that 
apply number one for, for the leader. So emotional management, A, for the leader. I would talk to others who have been there before. When I've dealt with things in our organization, whether it's here or before I came here, um, the first thing I would do when I had an issue was to call somebody that has been through the same issue. I, I heard somebody say a long time ago, if you're stuck in a ditch, call somebody who has gotten out of a ditch. And so uh, I want to call somebody who has experienced what I've experienced and navigated what I've navigated. One of the things I've talked to, um, one of the things I've talked to our team about, especially some of our younger leaders is, hey, as we're navigating this season, I need you to pay attention. Pay attention to what we do well. And then when you're in leadership someday, copy what we're doing. You do what we're doing well. And the things we don't do well, do it better than we're doing it. Take notes though, pay attention. Because here's the deal. Um, If you are leading people, people aren't tricky. They're gonna have the same issues, right? They're not inventing new ways to be stupid. If you've got a crisis in your organization, it's probably a crisis that somebody else has dealt with before. And so for you, you can... can, you can kind of game the system a little bit by going, okay, how have other people dealt with this? And so one of the things we've told our young leaders is pay attention because it's going to happen to you if you are leading. You're going to have to lead people through this situation. Um, So I want to talk to others who have been there before. Um, This is going to sound deeply unspiritual and that's okay. Um, I'm grateful that I have a therapist or counselor that I can talk to. And I would encourage you, if you don't believe in that, you need to get over it. Because if you're a leader, you've got pressure, you've got things you're dealing with, and you need somebody that you can talk to that... um, that's not on your employee, you know, that you're not paying. Uh, somebody that you're not their best friend or you're not in any relation to them other than they just wanna help you work through your stuff. So if you don't have a therapist or counselor, you should get one because you will need one someday. Uh, another way to, motion, uh, to manage your emotions as a leader is to work on today. If we, if we are looking at a crisis and all we're looking at is down the road. And this is hard for a lot of leaders because a lot of leaders are forward thinking. But if all we're doing is looking down the road and we're not looking at this moment, we can get overwhelmed because it's like, how are we going to get out of this mess? How are we gonna dig ourselves out of this budget issue? How are we going to change our revenue flow? Whatever it is, how, are, how can we do that? And the, the best thing I could tell you for your own heart is to don't get so focused on down the road that you're missing today. If you can focus on today, I'm not worried about the thousandth step, I'm worried about the next step. So I'm gonna take the next step, I'm gonna do it right, and then after that, I'll take the next step. And so I would say work on today. Uh, the next one is this, emotional, man, emotional management for the leader, uh, maintain perspective. And this kind of goes along with work on today. I was talking to, a, I was talking to a, a church planner recently and he was in a difficult season and their church was struggling financially. Um, and I could just hear in his voice as we were talking, I could hear the anxiety and so I just started asking some questions. How's your marriage doing? What's going on in your marriage? Are you guys healthy? Or... And so he was just sharing his heart with me. Here's where we're at. And because of this and because of this and because of the financial weight of our organization, like, man, we're struggling. Our marriage is not awesome. And so we just were walking through everything together. And I just said, hey, listen, let me ask you a question. If, um, if you had to shut your church down, is there somebody that would hire you? Do you have a friend that has said to you, man, I would love for you to come on staff with me. 
and you said, no, I'm planting this church, or maybe the church you came from, would they put you back on staff? Not out of pity, but because they love you and believe in you. And he said, yeah, for sure. I've got a few people like that. I was like, okay, cool. Um, and so let me ask you a question then. Um, would your kids love you if, you if you had to close the doors of your church? Yeah. Would your wife love you? Yeah. And I said, okay. So I just, I'm not trying to downplay what you're in right now, but the worst case scenario for you is if you closed the doors of your church, your pride would be hurt badly. Is that right? You'd have to get a new job. He said, well, yeah. Okay. And I said, here's the thing, man. Uh, if that's the case, then you're playing with house money. Um, you, if you lose, yes, that'll stink. That'll be painful. You'll have to move and you'll have to find a new job and your pride will be hurt because your peers, all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. But I said, if you lose, you're going to go get a job. You're just, your kids are still going to love you. Your life is going to be okay. And so I just said, you need to ask the question, what if I fail? Instead of, oh my gosh, and just leaving it open-ended. Answer the question, what if I fail? What if this doesn't work? And I think sometimes when we maintain perspective like that, it makes it easier for us to go, okay, we're going to be okay. You know, we're in this crisis. What if, what if we have to close our doors? What if we have to cease operations? Would that stink? Absolutely it would stink. But, but in all reality, you probably have a plan B. You probably have some options. Would you want to do that? Not necessarily, but your family's still gonna love you. Your wife is still gonna love you, your spouse, whatever it is, like the things that are most important are still gonna be in your life. So I think it's important for us to ask the question sometimes, what if I fail? What if I fail realistically, what would happen? And I think when we answer that question, if we're honest, we'll go, oh, okay. Do I wanna fail? No, but would it be the end of my life? No, it'll be okay. And that makes it easier for us to navigate uh, crisis in our lives. The next one is this, get distracted. Um, when you're in the middle of a crisis, it's all encompassing. That's all we can think about. Um, several of you in this room, I've walked through different crises with you. And I know for sure, sometimes it's all you can think about day and night. And even when you do have one second away from that crisis thought, you come right back to that crisis thought. And so one of the most important things you can do uh, when it's appropriate in that season is to get distracted. Do something that will actually give life to you because a crisis will suck the life out of you. And the more longer you stay in that crisis without a respite, the, the more damage it's going to do. So you have to have some breaks where you can step out of that and do something that energizes you, whether that's to go on a hike or do some woodworking or work on your Jeep or whatever it might be. Um, that one's mine, by the way. But whatever it is, do something that energizes you that you can turn off your brain, even if it's just for five minutes or 15 minutes or something like that. So you can get a break from that. Uh, the last one in this section for the leader is to maintain good boundaries. Um, in crisis, it's easy for us to think that we've got to fix everything and fix everyone, and it's not your job. And you can't. You don't have the bandwidth. You don't have the time in the day to be able to do that. Um, and so it's not your responsibility to fix everything and everyone. Now, if you're a good leader, it is your responsibility to make sure everyone is taken care of, but it's not your responsibility to take care of everyone. Does that make sense? Uh, make sure the people are looked after. Make sure that pe things are getting done, but it's not your responsibility to do it. So those are the, the ways to manage your emotions for the leader. For your team, I want you to think about a couple things. Um, the leader should provide a way for people to process a crisis. Uh, and I would say the first one would be personally. I think it's important for the leaders to be present, visible, and available. If you are present, visible, and available, it's going to be huge. Um, <laughs> think about, um, and this is not intended to be, uh, 
overtly political, but some of you will take it this way. Think about the last presidential election. Um, and one of the criticisms of President Biden was he disappeared. He stayed in his basement. That's a criticism you heard a lot, that he just wasn't visible. He wasn't accessible. Uh, even in his presidency now, uh, he's unavailable for questions a lot of times. And that's a, that's a criticism of President Biden. Now, think about it in your context. If you're going through a crisis and you withdraw, which is what a lot of leaders do, we withdraw from a situation. Um, and our intention might not be to hide, but that can be what's perceived. And so I would encourage you be present, um, be visible, make sure your team can see you, your people can see you. Um, if you normally don't spend time in the office, I would encourage you to be in the office more during a crisis so they can see you and so you can be accessible and available because they're going to have questions. They're going to need to process some things. They're going to need to talk. One of the things I did with our team uh, just in the last month was I told our team, hey, if you need to talk, if you need to process, I'm available. Come sit down and talk with me. And that was some of the hardest work I've done in a long time is just sitting and letting our team process and talk and work through stuff. And, and I didn't even need to have answers and solutions. They, they just needed somebody to talk to. But I'm so grateful. Some of you, you guys know Pastor Dick Motzing, our associate pastor. Pastor Dick um, also said, hey, I'll, I'll take some of that. I can talk to people. I, they can process with me. And so again, that goes back to that principle. I don't have to fix every problem, but I need to give access to our team to have their problems solved. And so, um, so I had to be present, visible, and available for our team, and not just for our team, but for even for people in our church to talk to. Uh, that was the first thing. And the second thing is um, provide a way for your people to process a crisis, not just personally with you, but also professionally. Um, this is where I would encourage you, some of you have... Um, employer-provided health insurance that will provide for a counselor. And our insurance does, and I encourage our staff to go see a counselor, go see a Christian counselor, sit down with somebody and talk through this stuff. The church will help cover the cost of it, I promise you. And so we do that for a number of our staff. So what are we doing? Well, we're helping them manage their emotions and manage their feelings, um, both in a pastoral way, but in a professional way as well. And no matter what your business is, there is value in taking care of your team and taking care of your people. Um, and you might not call it pastoring them, but I would, from my perspective, that you can shepherd and pastor your people, whether you call it that or not, whether you're sharing the scripture with them or not. So you can personally take care of them, but you can professionally point them in the right direction to clinicians who can help them manage their emotions. And then the last thing is this, um, the, the further out your crisis reaches, those ripples are going to reach people that you think aren't really impacted, but there are people going to be impacted and you need to be ready to, to help them manage their emotions as well. So depending on your context, there might be people far out that you'd go, how are you impacted by this? Why do you even care about this? But there might be something there that you don't even see and you need to be ready to help them manage their emotions well as well. But it all comes back when it comes to emotional management to you managing your emotions well at the start, that it begins with the leader. So I'd encourage you to do that. Man, it's already 7.34. I went longer than I intended to. Sorry for that. Let me just open it up to the group. Now let's just talk through this a little bit. And I would love to hear, I know some of you guys have dealt with crisis as well. If there's something you would push back on or if there's something you would add, I'd love to hear it. So let's just open it up. I just want to start with a question from Blairsville that is obliquely related. Um, but the question is, they want to know if you can mention a few leadership resources, podcasts, or authors that, that you would suggest for growing leaders. Um, growing leaders. 
I mean, there's a couple of easy leadership podcasts that I listen to, like the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. Craig is the pastor of the biggest church in America, and he's a leadership guru. John Maxwell has a leadership podcast, and that guy, he's the, he has sold more books on leadership than anyone ever, and so um, he's... He knows what he's talking about. A right, friend of Back 40 Network, Gerald Brooks, has a leadership podcast as well. Uh, John Nuzo, who uh, is one of my overseers, he has a leadership podcast that's excellent. And then um, this is not strictly leadership. We call it leadership. But the Back 40 Leadership Podcast is, I think, helpful with that as well. That's a shameless plug for our own podcast, but there you go. So questions, comments, feedback about uh, leading in crisis especially internal crisis. Yeah. In a recent crisis we had, I had trouble empathizing with other people's reaction to the situation. Okay. And I've struggled with that yeah. in, in the moment. Yeah. Um, specifically, we had a, a threat to the facility called mm -hmm. in and left on a voice message. <laughs> Um, and our staff freaked out, but immediately I recognized that it was four days old and nobody had checked the voicemail oh, in gotcha. four days. Yeah. And so I was like, well, this is kind of an old yeah. story. Yeah. But they were still really impacted. And I, and I, so. Yeah. And you know what? Um, I think that's important to be aware of how your team is impacted by a crisis. But I would also, I think that's important too, to be able to say, hey, I acknowledge not everyone is going to react to this crisis the same way I do. And it's easy for us to assume that, that everybody's gonna see this the way I do or feel the way I do, and that might not be the case at all. They might feel very different about it. They might, I mean, who knows? So yeah, that's important to be aware of, just self-awareness in that situation, that's good. What else? Uh, this question is not meant to be associated with what we've gone through. That's okay. But I think that it is an important question because I think that this is one of the most tricky steps that a, a leader could take in the midst of an internal crisis. And the question is, if your internal crisis requires you to fire someone, how should you fire them in a way that would limit the spread of the crisis? Um, okay. So uh, I would probably, um, if I had to terminate someone, I would do it quickly, um, as quickly as I could. And I would figure out who were the direct reports, who were the influ people influenced by or influencing and have conversations with those people. And um, if, you've, if you've displayed good leadership, that should be your credibility at that point to be able to go, hey, let's talk about this together. Let's talk about this situation. Let's talk about what's going on. And I would even ask some questions like, do you feel like you're a good fit in this department, in this organization, whatever it is? And if not, that's okay. Um, if we need to help you find an exit strategy, we can, and that's okay. And we're not trying to get rid of you, but if you're not sure, I think that'd probably be an appropriate time to have a conversation like that and let people self-select out and go, okay, you know what? That might be a good time for me to, to exit stage left. Um, but I would probably, that's probably where I would start in a situation like that. And the bigger the organization is and the higher the person is on the flow chart, the, the more 
complicated that gets. If you've got a janitor, you know, who works the night shift and never interacts with anybody who's doing something stupid and you terminate them and nobody even knows they existed, like that's totally different than somebody who's in the C-suite, you know. Um, and let's be honest too, um, in, in business, if in a lot of businesses, they don't care what you're doing in your private life as long as you are producing. As long as you are making us money, you're producing enough widgets, we don't care about the other stuff. And so everybody's organization is going to look a little different, what that should be or look like and what is a fireable offense and those kind of things. So, yeah. Does that answer your question? What else? Any other questions or thoughts or things you want to add to this list I made? Because that is definitely not all-encompassing. Take it over to Mike. I think sometimes just, you know, when leading, you have to, you know, sometimes you're at a point of leading that you're mentoring leaders. And mm-hmm. I had a situation today where, you know, we're merging and they, they had to let some sales guys go. Yeah. And there was one guy that was a former operations guy at this new facility that's under me. And, of course, he had a lot of roots and ties. So. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, so do I have a mutiny on my hand? Are everyone going to walk out, or what's the deal? And and it, I just gave it some time to settle. I mean, is what's the right or wrong way? Do you do you approach it the second you learn about it before news is even out, or do you just give it time and go? And then I reached out to the manager below me. I'm like, so what's the pulse like? Do I have to worry about anything? And and you know, he handled it all very correctly you know you have to trust mm-hmm. the leaders under you sometimes and and be there to support them i think is the biggest part you yeah. know they're, they're leaders for a reason yeah and you know supporting them is big yeah and and i think you know mike what you're talking about is um when you lead well over a sustained amount of time you build credibility and so when those bad times happen You've already built up credibility so people will go, well, I don't understand this. I don't know why we're going through this, but I know them. And if they say we're going to be okay, we're going to be okay. And that's the benefit of just being faithful and being a good leader and taking care of your people over a long, sustained amount of time. It's going to help you when the merger comes, you know, and everybody's going, how does this affect me? And so, yeah, that's good. Hey, it's 741 here in uh, Indiana. And so I'm going to kick it over to our friends there in Blairsville, let you guys close out the rest of our time together there so you guys can have some time to dialogue. I love you guys in Blairsville. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time for Leadership Night. So we still got time here, though. So uh, let me just ask you guys in the room, what, uh, what are the questions you have or feedback? Or maybe you've been through a crisis recently, or maybe you're in one right now, and you're going, I don't know how to lead my people through this, or I don't know how to lead myself through this. Um, like I said, there's people in the room that have been through some stuff and we're happy to dialogue with you. We used COVID in this discussion as a vector for testing the quality of a person's leadership. And so I want to know of the leaders you know of who did not make it through COVID well, are you able to extrapolate a pattern that you think contributed to their demise? Okay. Uh, In my context, I'm dealing with a lot of churches. And so I will say the churches who did best through COVID uh, typically were the churches that were doing pretty well before COVID in that 
Churches that did well during COVID were churches that already had an online presence. They had already established, you know, some sort of online presence. They already had groups in place for people to find community outside of the corporate worship gathering. So they didn't have to rely on a Sunday morning service for them to still find community. Um, and churches that had a good financial base, those were the main ones. Um, and I think, yeah, I was talking to you about this. Some of the churches that you would have expected to struggle during COVID, they made it through COVID, but they're closing now. So their funds have run out. The pastors that helped them get through COVID that were already hanging on by a spider web before COVID, um, like they just said, okay, I'm gonna fortify, I'm gonna make it through. And they made it through and the churches survived and they're like, now I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And they left. And so some of those churches that lost pastors in like spring of 21, that they've had an interim pastor since then, they've just realized we got no more, we got no more momentum, no more energy, no more money, and they're closing their doors now. And so we're just now seeing in the last like six months, a uh, severe, like a big wave of church closures from that I think are COVID related. So I think the churches that survived the best were doing those three things, at least in our context. I'm opening that up to you guys, different industries in the room. Do you have any thoughts on that? So it reminds me of something I heard from Simon Sinek and he was talking about- What does that guy know about anything? Yeah, but he was talking <laughs> about kind of embracing it and, mm -hmm. and, and, and accepting the new constraints, right? And it, yeah. That the, the organizations that thrived are the ones that said, okay, this is the new rules of the game. So how mm -hmm. are we going to win with these rules? Not yeah. sitting back going, how long is this going to last? Can we, can we weather this storm? It was yeah. okay, it's new rules, so let's adjust. Yeah, and that's a lot easier said than done. If we're going to be honest, it's a lot easier, but, uh, we finally, and I don't know, there's a couple of our staff in the room. We finally had to put a moratorium in our internal dialogue about COVID because I'll just be honest with you. We don't talk about numbers like attendance numbers very often here at summit, but our overall attendance numbers are still not what they were before COVID. Um, but you wouldn't know that. And honestly, none of you guys care, um, but what we were seeing internally was up to about a year and a half ago, we would still have conversations and somebody on our staff, maybe even me, would go, well, you know, before COVID. And so finally, I just got to a place where I was like, shut up. We're not talking about pre-COVID anymore. This is where we're at and we're just going to take care of it. Let's manage it. Let's go. Let's love the people we got. Let's move forward with the vision we've got and let's take off. Because most people don't give a rip. They don't care what the number is on the weekend they care about, are you, am I being taken care of? Am I, you know, all those kind of things. So it kind of goes back to what Ryan was saying. We could have opined for like, oh, if it was just pre-COVID or we can go, let's get to work with what we got. So yeah, that's good. So you spoke about um, internal and external. Yeah, crisis. Crisis. Uh -huh. Um, how do you weather when you have multiple going on, or if you've got advice on multiple going on at the same time, you've yeah. got something that may have started as an external crisis, but mm -hmm. now some of your key people that are working in the interior now have internal crises and it becomes a snowball if yeah. you're not careful. Uh, I would love to hear some feedback on that uh, from you guys. Uh, just from the gut, I would say, the, um, that's kind of going back to what I said to Mike, the healthier you can be going leading into crisis, the better off you're going to be navigating that. So 
the, the more cascading events you have where it's like, oh, we had this big external crisis that's led to this internal crisis. And now we've got this and this and this. We're trying to manage the healthier the organization is before, the more likely it is to be able to make it through that unscathed. The, the more health issues you have, if you've got dysfunction and brokenness and backbiting and all this stuff, when you are experiencing cascading issues, you're going you're gonna to have a lot of trouble navigating that. It's going to take a long time to come out of that and get healthy again, I would say, just broadly speaking in a generalized way. So I noticed years ago I would, I would not approach a crisis right away and then it would snowball mm -hmm. you know you you push it under the rug or you deal with it the next week and then next thing you know it, it just it does yeah it is you know it becomes bigger than what it has to be um i believe in a you know 24-hour rule like last week and i'm not you know no one's perfect right and last week i sent an email that after i hit enter i'm like probably shouldn't have sent that and <laughs> Usually I don't do that. Well, I, they just got me to respond. Um, but I, I think responding quickly sometimes is better than waiting. Well, and that's one of the reasons I mentioned when I was talking a minute ago that I tend to default to quicker response. And the reason is, Rebecca, is kind of what Mike was just saying. Um, little monsters become big monsters. We hope, if I just don't deal with this, maybe it'll get better. And I will tell you this, I've never had an employee that I thought was a problem that magically became better without attention. And so if, if you've got something that you think could become a crisis, I would attend to it immediately. And that's probably the quickest way to deal with that. But when you're in the middle of it and you've got all these issues, that's a different story. You wanna to speak to that, Justin? I, I would just offer uh, that when you're managing multiple crises at one time, valuing every person that's in crisis <laughs> is important because you'd be amazed that no matter what it feels like for me to go through something terrible, it, the second that I would devalue someone else's opinion, if they're in personal turmoil or if the larger turmoil has affected them, mm -hmm. uh, it can become it can become a real problem. So yeah. just valuing everyone, respecting everyone, and as a leader or, or as the leader, sometimes you just have to say, you know, God, why, why me? Or give me strength, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, but one step at a time is also really important because we all, we all can't do everything. And so just valuing everyone where they're at, kind of putting yourself in the back seat is something mm -hmm. that I think is important for a leader. And then I'd also just add generally to the conversation that, you know, a lot of the things that, they don't talk about in crisis leadership is how do you rebound from it? Yeah. Resiliency. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Resiliency is a, uh, because it takes a lot of energy out of you when, when, you know, your organization or, or, or someone that you love or yourself goes through something like that. Yeah. It's, you know, once you do all the right things to get through, now you're at a point where everybody else has forgotten and you're basically numb. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes really difficult thing to, to try and process through. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I'd like to just agree with what Justin said. I think a big thing with crisis management is definitely going to be a debrief after the crisis mm -hmm. with your key players. Um, I deal with a fair amount of crisis on a regular basis, but not really at a business level. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I've learned over time is, is that um, everything that Pastor Mel said with discovery, communication, emotional management is extremely important. 
I think the one thing too as a leader is that you have to approach, you have to maintain a certain posture at all times, even prior to the, to the crisis developing. Like you don't want to be somebody that uh, approaches every problem with a, just emotionally charged, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, I try to personally walk into every crisis, no matter how insignificant or significant it may be, kind of with the same way that I would see you for whatever I may be seeing. I'm a physician, yeah. I'm an ER yeah. doc. So it's like you, I try to approach somebody in that might be in a cardiac arrest um, the same way that I would emotionally see somebody that comes in with ear pain, you know, because you have to be, you have to mentally bring yourself to that point where I'm not going to get emotionally charged and your staff will have a lot more faith with, in you because yeah. it might be just elevating the tone of your voice just a little bit. If yep. you're like that all the time, they say, well, you know, okay, he, he's got his voice elevated. You know, <laughs> so, but I, I definitely agree with the debrief after. Um, yeah. Well, and you kind of alluded to this, Pat, but I think when we sign up for leadership, we forfeit the right to be selfish. And when, when I'm freaking out, it's because I'm being selfish. I'm, I'm feeling the feelings, I'm being emotional, and oh my gosh, right? But if I am taking into account that what's best for our organization or the people I'm leading, then I'm gonna go, you know what? I gotta put on my big boy pants and push this down and I need to lead well in this moment. I need to reassure people. I need to, you know, this is gonna be the best thing for my team for the, and it's hard because many of us are dominated by our feelings and like we let our feelings rule what we do and say. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's on the money for sure. And I think the debrief is hugely important. Um, and I think that goes back to talking about what we're going to do differently moving forward. I think if you just weather a crisis and you don't ever discuss, how did we get there? What, what, what are the conditions that brought us to that point and how can we keep that from happening in the future, then you failed. You haven't learned anything from your crisis other than how do we not die in the middle of a crisis. So yeah, Dave. So I really appreciate the story that you shared about the church planner who was struggling and yeah. how you helped him walk through that. Because to me that you, you were helping him in a situation where, you know, the vision that he had and that he was pursuing, you know, it was appearing as if it may not mm -hmm. come to fruition and that that can be extremely difficult and painful yeah but you were helping him to see you know to get another vision yeah and you know something to um you know a, a new reality to create and push towards and move on and that even if what he initially thought he was pursuing didn't work out that you know that's not the end of it that mm -hmm. there's going to be more and it's going to be okay and it's probably going to be a lot better than what you really yeah. see right now and um, it's more on a personal level, but, you know, I've been through some things where, you know, my, my future is nothing at all what I ever would have imagined or yeah. envisioned. And you have to, you have to allow God to open you to a new vision. And mm -hmm. then that gives you something to pursue even when you could have never imagined that that was possible. And yeah. even more recently, I've been trying to help a family member walk through what they feel like is a pretty major crisis with a course correction in their own life. They were going down a path, had been pursuing it for years, and they came to a place where they, you know, decided they needed to, to go a different direction. And one of the words that, you know, they used, they described themselves as being directionless, 
and you know, kind of feeling aimless through that because the thing that they always thought they were working towards now it was radically mm-hmm. different. But you know, I was able to remind them that you're not aimless, you're not direction. The reason that you have made this change, this correction, you have a new vision for your life. You got crystal clear on what really mattered. And yeah. You decided that the thing you thought it was all, all along, what you thought it was before, now it's something different. And you know, you're allowing God to take you in that direction and pull your heart that way. And that's a good thing that, yeah. that you took the time to figure that out before you got farther down that road. So um, when you're in a crisis, you know, I, I think being able to um, have a new vision or something crystal clear that you yeah. can kind of work towards and pursue, uh, that, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting that, David. I appreciate it. Um, and even you just talking now, I realized um, not every crisis is built the same. And I think in hindsight, there's some things that we would call crisis in the moment that we look back on and go, oh, that, that really wasn't a crisis. It felt like it in the moment, but in hindsight, it wasn't. Because even when we're dealing with other people, we can look at somebody else's situation and they're freaking out and we can go, is that really a crisis? Like, why are you responding this way? And think about your kids. Okay, my kids. I know my girls are the only ones that overreact or over, you know, are, are too dramatic. But there are so many things that they are freaking out about that I'm like, what? why do you care about this, right? But it's still a crisis for them in that moment. And it's the same principles apply. So that's good. Thanks, David. We got a couple more minutes. Yeah, Mark. Oftentimes, when it comes to crises, good leadership already saw it coming. Mm-hmm. They saw it 100 miles away, and they already have an escape plan for it, whether it be personnel, industry downturn, financial issues. And it's, they've already planned for this. Mm-hmm. We were already going this way. Well, we've got to kind of go this way. And that, that's a sign of good leadership. <laughs> I mean, yeah. when they, they look at not just their business, but the culture, the financial situation of a country, or this, <laughs> that, everything, they have a wide view of everything. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think good leaders have to, they might not anticipate a specific crisis, but they are flexible enough that they can pivot and they can go, well, if something changes, then we can do this and we can do that and we can adjust and we can, because that's the nature of leadership is leading through change. And uh, good leaders can't just manage, there has to be an element of management, but good leaders know how to navigate changes and know how to lead through those changes. That's what leaders do. And that's why leaders get so frustrated when they're just managing, when they're just, you know, caretakers for an organization. They're like, no, I want to lead something. So, yeah, that's good. I'm going to ask this question because I'm curious how you'll navigate the tension. Okay, um, perfect. You, you mentioned that an important part of managing your emotions in the midst of a crisis is exploring what failure looks like or exploring option mm-hmm. B. Yeah. Is this practice equally appropriate in the context of marriage? Why or why not? And if not, <laughs> you're an what instigator. Does, what does that say about the, the differences between leading in an organization as opposed to leading in a marriage? Um, well, the first key difference is marriage is a covenant. I don't have a covenant with uh, a company I work for. So covenant means I'm going to be committed to you for the rest of my life, no matter what happens. Um, and, and thankfully I've never had a job like that. Um, so, uh, I had some employers that thought I needed to be committed to them for the rest of my life, no matter what happened. But that, that would be the key difference for me. Um, you know, when it comes to leadership, 
Um, I think just generally speaking, um, I think we have to, we have to lead people with, uh, with our hands, um, held loosely. Um, so everyone in our organization, even the people in our church, I hold on to loosely cause they're not my people. This isn't my staff. Uh, these are God's people and God's staff. So if somebody leaves our church to go to another church, I want to make sure it's right and healthy if we can, but they're not our people. If they go to another church, they're still going to heaven. They still love Jesus. Great. So that's good. Um, you know, our staff, they're not going to grow old and die on our staff. I probably won't grow old and die on our staff, to be honest with you. Um, I would be happy to be the pastor here the rest of my life. But if God wanted to move me on, then he's going to move me on. And that to me is dramatically different than uh, marriage covenant. And so with my wife, I still want to lead her, but I don't want to entertain a plan B or, well, what if this doesn't work out? Well, I'll be just fine. I'll just go find another wife. Like that feels like a good way to undermine a, a, a marriage. So good question, Michael. <laughs> we'll save that one for another, for another leadership night. That'll be next month. Hey, by the way, next month, I think we're going to do a leadership night called um, Leadership Lessons from My Jeep. So uh, if you're interested in that, uh, just things I've learned working on my Jeep over the last two years. So uh, join us for that next month. Um, and then I'm excited in the month of March, I've got uh, some of you guys remember Dr. John Stanko was with us. Um, gosh, I don't know, six months ago, maybe. And he, I interviewed John and we talked about we talked about um, purpose and finding purpose in your life. And John has written a number of books on that topic. So in the month of March, John is going to do leadership night for us, but he's also going to do a leader. Uh, he's going to do a purpose seminar every Wednesday night in the month of March. So um, he'll be with us every Wednesday night leading that. And I promise it's going to be helpful. It'll be good for you. If you've got teams or people in your life, that maybe are struggling with their purpose, I would encourage you to bring them. But that'll be in the month of March, and I just got that settled this last week, so I'm excited about that. Let me pray for you, we'll get out of here. Lord, thanks so much for this group of people. Thank you for the, the calling that rests on their lives to do whatever it is you've purposed in their heart to do. And so, Lord, I just pray as they are leaving here tonight and as they go back to their industry, they go back to their uh, peers, their communities, their cultures or organizations and the next day, I pray that you would guide them and direct them, give them the right words to say, give them the right ways to lead. I pray that they would be led by your spirit and that they would ultimately lead better than they could on their own because of what you're doing in and through them. So Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Pray a blessing on them and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for joining us for Leadership Night. If you enjoyed it, make sure you invite somebody next month. And uh, don't forget, there's a podcast that you can share with your friends. If you're interested, you can find that um, by uh, going to Summit Podcast. Is it .com? .church. Summitpodcast.church. And you can share this podcast with your friends if you'd like. So have a wonderful night, guys. Appreciate you. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.